Our reading is from 1 John 3, verses 16 to 24. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need, yet refuses to help, how does God's love abide in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, and soften our hearts so that we may see ourselves and our neighbors with the loving eyes of Christ and teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. Please be seated. As Jonathan mentioned in his welcome, we're in the middle of a teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount exploring what it looks like to live as kingdom dwellers in the kingdom of God. And Jesus has been setting out a vision for us of humanity as we're intended to be, and as we are becoming, as we're drawing closer to him and absorbing from him the values of his kingdom. This morning, we're going to be jumping ahead a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 6. And don't worry, we'll go back to some of the Matthew chapter 5 but we want to see what Jesus has to say about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, coincidentally or not, the three things that we're called to in Lent. So for the next month or so, we're very appropriately get to uh, dwell in Jesus' teaching on these three things as we move through Lent. And Jesus begins his teaching with one compelling phrase in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. This phrase introduces the whole chapter, 
setting up a theme that is going to recur for the next few weeks. Don't practice your piety in the form of giving, prayer, and fasting in order to be seen. Instead, practice it in secret. And Jesus begins with this word, beware. Beware, it's a warning word, a word that's calling us to pay attention. Jesus is speaking here to good Jews, to people who do practice righteousness, who do give to those in need, who do fast, who do pray. All of these were standard obligations of Jewish piety. And it was assumed that anybody who's taking their faith seriously is practicing them. They're giving and praying and fasting regularly. Three good things. Three things that have the potential to bring people closer to God and to bring people closer to God's kingdom. But we have that word, beware. Beware how you give. Beware how you fast. Beware how you pray. Don't just assume that by doing these things, Jesus says, you're automatically behaving in a way that is acceptable to God, which is the trap that we and the world around us so easily fall into, isn't it? We are good because we do good things. We pray, we fast, we read our Bible. And these things are important, don't get me wrong. But rather than a way to earn God's love, they're intended to be an outflow of the love that he has poured on us, which makes all the difference in how we see them. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first of the three, giving. And we'll see what Jesus is warning against and why. And we'll see what a new vision of kingdom giving might look like. So we begin then with verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. No trumpets allowed. Jesus is cutting to the heart of the matter of why we give. Is it simply to relieve someone's need? That's not what he was seeing being practiced in the synagogues and on the streets. Rather, he was seeing a very showy piety that was far more about the people giving than it was about relieving the needs of those living in poverty. Well, it's easy for us to hear this, to sit back and say, well, of course trumpets should not be involved. Are you kidding? That's ridiculous. And I'm picturing the equivalent today of when you give online, pressing the online give button, and digital balloons and confetti go off, and then maybe everybody in your address book gets a notification that you've been giving somewhere. It's a caricature, and Jesus is painting a caricature with the language of trumpets. But motives are tricky. And while we may not want literal trumpets, and we may not want everyone in our address book to hear every time we give something, there may be all kinds of things going on when we're giving. When I examine my own motives for giving, often I am none too sure that they're altogether pure. There might be a desire to build my personal brand, as the common lingo has it, to convince others that I'm generous, a good and kind person. Maybe I'm trying to convince myself that I'm a generous, good, kind person. Maybe I'm acting like I believe a person of faith should act, especially when I've got a collar on. Oh, well, I have to give to that person because what will other people think if they see me walking by? Or maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's a form of spiritual pride, like Tim mentioned last week in his sermon. 
The early church father, John Chrysostom, says that it is in fasting and prayer and almsgiving particularly, these good deeds, that pride is most especially likely to make its haunt. And it is so hard to spot. 19th century preacher Ichabod Spencer states that spiritual pride is the worst kind of pride, if not the worst snare of the devil. The heart is particularly deceitful in this one thing. An 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards writes this about pride. Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It was the first sin that ever was, and it lies lowest at the foundation of Satan's whole building. It is the most difficultly rooted out and is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. It often creeps in insensibly into the midst of religion and sometimes under the disguise of humility. Or as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Motives are tricky and the heart is deceitful. And so once more, we're left with a standard that Jesus is holding up that feels entirely impossible, giving with pure motives, giving in such a way that even we don't pat ourselves on the back for it. How is that even possible? And once more, we're brought back to grace because it begins with a right understanding of who we are and how much we are in need and how much we have been given. Giving to the needy, as the Bible puts it, giving to those who experience poverty is a tricky mandate because it really easily sets up a divide between humanity and humanity. We are the blessed ones. We're the ones who have the opportunity to be generous, to show ourselves as kind and benevolent and even spiritual. They are the ones in need, the ones who have to rely on and receive our charity. And all too often, if they don't show proper appreciation and gratitude, we become offended. And this dichotomy is so dangerous for two big reasons. One, it can distance those experiencing poverty into something other, a project that we can fulfill. It can see them as a means to show off our own piety, either to ourselves or to others. It can steal their very humanity and create of them objects, objects of charity. And the second danger that it runs is the, runs the risk of is us slipping into a prosperity gospel, where we begin believing that it is because we have acted or believed a certain way that we've been blessed. We've earned our status in life by living the right way, by doing the right things, meaning explicitly or implicitly that the poor have too, that those experiencing poverty deserve their fate rather than the many factors, some of them beginning long before our birth and the vast majority of them outside of our control that contribute to each one of our situations. So the biblical mandate of giving comes with deep risks. And yet we're still called to give. In fact, it's essential. So how do we do it? We begin with remembering. Deuteronomy 24, 19, verses 19 to 22 says this. When you reap your harvest in a field and you forget the sheaf in the field, 
or when you beat your olive trees or when you gather the grapes in the vineyard, don't strip them bare. The remainder shall be left for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. God is telling the Israelites that the way they are to be generous to the poor in their midst is by remembering that they were slaves in Egypt. Because they were poor, they are to be generous to the poor. Because they were foreigners, they are to be kind to foreigners. Because they were in need, they are to be kind to those in need. This reminder is crucial because it removes that divide between rich and poor. You may be rich now, God is saying, but that's only because of my grace to you. It's not something you earned or deserved. It's not because you were more worthy or better than those who have less. Deuteronomy 9, in fact, chapters 7 through 10 all make this point. The Israelites were chosen not because of their righteousness, but just because God loved them. And the same is true of us in Christ. A few weeks ago, Tim preached on the Beatitudes, the spiritual blessings that we begin to reap as we press into Jesus, as we begin to see ourselves with kingdom eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, verse 3 says, the very first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who recognize that they don't deserve God's favor and goodness. That were it not for the graciousness of Christ, we would have remained dead in our sins, helpless to save ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And what is true spiritually for us is equally true materially. We own nothing of our own accord. Everything belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says. And it is in Christ alone that we have been given all things. And therefore, when we give as kingdom dwellers, we are simply living into the truth that everything is God's in the first place. Nothing is ours. We are just called to be stewards of it, to use and distribute it for the furtherance of the kingdom and for the glory of God. It is only this understanding of our own helplessness and the immense generosity of God towards us that allows us to give in a way that protects the dignity and the humanity of those on the receiving end. But not only that, this posture allows us to see that each of us, no matter what our material status, needs each other. And this is so important. There's something in me that doesn't like admitting need, and I'm guessing it's probably the same for the majority of people here. We prefer to be self-sufficient, to keep our pride, to not have to accept help, especially material help. We are happy to give to those living in poverty. We don't want to be the ones receiving the giving. But by being given a clearer picture of our shared humanity and our equal status in the kingdom of God as both in need and having been given everything, we can begin breaking down some of those barriers that see us and them. And we, be, we can begin recognizing that we are all in need at various times, in various places, of various things. 
and each of us can help fill those needs with each other. My best friend Joanna is a community worker in Parkdale at the Dale Ministries. It's a ministry that's beloved to my heart. And here's a description of the Dale from their website. The Dale seeks to create spaces of belonging in which all people, particularly those who are marginalized, are encouraged to participate fully to the best of their abilities. Here, we do not have a volunteer group that is separate from our community. Many of the people who volunteer regularly came to us first needing a hot meal and a place to belong. Try to think of it, the website stresses, not so much as doing something for those people, but that we are all doing something together. Everyone who comes is given an opportunity to help. This is an important part of the value we place on full participation. And I've learned through hearing weekly stories of all the ministry that happens at the Dale, that ministering happens from everyone to everyone. Joanna has often shared with me the beautiful stories of the immense generosity and grace present in the community, because there's no distinction between those who are in need and those who are giving. That's what it means to belong to the body of Christ, to live in his kingdom, to share freely of our resources, whether physical, spiritual, emotional, material, all of us have something to give, and all of us are in need of something, and all of us are in need of God's mercy. So where does that leave us this morning? According to the United Way, I read this this week, that although the GTA appears to be a prosperous and thriving region, it is actually the poverty capital of Canada with one in seven residents living, struggling to enough financially to have worry about a roof over their heads. One in seven residents in Toronto worry about having a roof over their heads. There is immense opportunity to show love to our neighbors here in practical ways that will contribute to their well-being while not denying their humanity. Maybe that's in the area of advocacy for more affordable housing or volunteering with or financially supporting organizations and agencies that work directly with marginalized people. Maybe it's even just taking the time to have a conversation with someone on the street who's asking for help, recognizing our shared humanity. Maybe you will receive something in return. Maybe in doing all of these things, we will realize that we are the ones being ministered to and that we are being shown love for Christ's sake. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. What is this reward we can expect? A lot of ink has been spilled on this topic, and in the weeks to come, maybe we'll hear more about it, because it is repeated over the next few sections. But for now, maybe it's enough to rest in the knowledge that as we give as kingdom dwellers, and as we receive as kingdom dwellers, we are giving and receiving of the abundant wealth of the kingdom of God, material, spiritual, emotional, relational, and all of that wealth is being received and shared and redistributed so that we are one step closer to seeing the kingdom in its fullness, a place where no one is in need, where everyone has enough, and where we all give thanks to the glory of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.